Well, good morning and welcome to Alliance International Church. I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. I This is a highlight of my week. I love coming to church. I love spending time with you. It is an honor and a joy to be able to share God's Word with you. This is important stuff, and to be able to share this truth with you this morning is huge because it will have ramifications on how it is that we live our lives. Because our whole theme for this whole month of Advent is we're talking about hope. The hope that God gives. Hope, God's gift to us. And what I want to talk about this morning is, is waiting. Waiting in hope. Now, as a people, we don't like to wait, do we? In, in America, I, I'm still not steeped very well in, in Chinese culture. In America, uh, Christmas is a, is a big time for giving. I know in, in, uh, here in Hong Kong, that's Chinese New Year. That'll be coming up shortly after Christmas this year. But, but in America, we begin to put uh, Christmas presents around the, around the tree, and the children have to wait for the gifts until uh, Christmas, either Christmas Eve night or Christmas Day is what we did in our, in our home. And for some, it's easier to wait than for others. Some are under the tree and they simply look at the, at the gifts, whereas others are, are, are package shakers. They, they get up there and they kind of shake the package and they, they you know, listen to it. And, and it's not just little kids who do that. It is others as well who it's like, get away from the tree. You need to wait. You need to wait. But as a people, we don't like to wait, do we? We, we, we don't like to wait. There are many, many things that we don't like to wait for. Uh, for instance, uh, there are things... Let me get my list here. There are things we, we don't like to wait for. We don't like to, we don't, we don't like to have to wait for... Uh, or, excuse me, let me back up here. Microwaves and the Internet have, have accustomed us not to have to wait. I mean, we can throw something in the microwave and, and it's done in just a couple of minutes, whereas before you would have to put something you know, on the stove and cook it for a long time. The Internet has put the world in resources right at our fingertips. For me, I left a great majority of my library in, in the United States. I either just left it there, I gave it to a bunch of other pastors and brought just a, just a fraction of my library here. So now there are times where I'm like, okay, oh, that's right, that book is no longer in my library. That I gave to this pastor. And so if I really need a book, I just go to Amazon, I, do, I pay for it, and I download it. I have it in less than five minutes, and I have the whole book there. I, I don't need to wait weeks for it. There are other things as well. We don't have to save up money any longer and wait you know, for something. We just simply put down a credit card and it's there. I mean, we, we can have that. We are so accustomed not to waiting that when we do have to wait, we get very impatient, don't we? Think about the MTR in the morning where if we have to wait two, three, one morning I had to wait nine trains before it was that, you know, and then by the time you finally get on, everybody around you is pretty well, pretty well very impatient because they've had to wait. And we get to the point so much that when we have to wait, if we have to wait, it can really mess up our day, can it? But God sometimes causes us to wait. Because waiting does three things. Waiting deepens our relationship with God. Waiting develops character. And waiting deepens trust with God. And this morning, we're going to see somebody who who had to wait. And we're in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, this morning. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, Jesus has already been born. 
as uh, good as good Jewish parents, we see in verse 21, on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. Remember Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel said to Joseph, you will give him the name Jesus. For what? For he will save his people from their sins. And they gave him the name. This couple that came into the, that came into the temple, it says, when the time of purification, purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, 40 days, Joseph and Mary took him, that was Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord in Leviticus, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now there are several things here. Three words that I want you to, that I want you to see, that I want you to write down as you're, as you're going through this. This was an ordinary couple. Your first word that you want to write down is just ordinary. There would have been nothing that Joseph and Joseph and Mary that would have set them apart that would have said, oh, there, there, there's a couple of distinction. Remember, Mary's just a young girl. Anywhere between the ages of 13 to 16, 17 at the very top, but more than likely toward the lower end of that scale. These, this is the age at which Jewish girls were married. And Joseph would have been a humble carpenter. Remember, they come from Nazareth. They were just ordinary people, but yet God chooses to use ordinary people all the time for great things, doesn't he? And he used this ordinary couple. So as they came in, you would have noticed that they were just an ordinary couple. Maybe you wouldn't have noticed them. But as well, when they came, they came, their second word is they were obedient. This was an obedient couple. They did what it was that God called them. Joseph is an absolutely obedient man. Mary is an obedient person. What does she say when the angel says to her that you're going to have a, you're going to have a child? That you're going to have a child. And she says, let it be unto me as you've said. I am your servant. She said, I will serve you. I will be your servant. And when, the, when Joseph is going to quietly divorce When Joseph is wanting to quietly, quietly divorce Mary, and the angel comes to him and says, no, no, don't do that. Because what is in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph does what? He takes her home, he, mar- he marries her, but he has no union with her until the time of their marriage. Joseph and Mary are obedient. And when they come, they do everything that God's law requires of them even down to bringing the sacrifice. This is a poor couple. This is a poor couple. When you see oftentimes the, the stories and the Christmas cards that show the nativity, we see the, the wise men, the magi there at that time. That, that's not true. I mean, you look at Scripture, it's after the birth of Christ that the magi show up because here is evidence of it. This is a very poor couple because what they were to bring was a lamb. But, it, but the law gave... gave um, gave a loophole for those who were poor that they didn't have to bring the lamb. They could bring just the very simple offering of doves and of pigeons. This is an ordinary couple. 
This is an obedient couple. But here's what I want us to see. I don't think there was anybody save Simeon who had a clue as to what this child, even Mary and Joseph, even though they were told who this child was, I don't think they had a clue as to what this child was going to do in this world and for us as well. And yet they came and they obediently brought this child. They displayed obedience because Jesus grew up in this home, didn't he? And he grew up in a home where the word of God was taught to him. As parents, one of the greatest things that you can do for your children is to love God and to serve him with all of your heart. That's your third one here. Is to love God and to serve him with all of your heart. They came bringing him as an offering. They came bringing Jesus as an offering. One of the things we do in our church, we do not baptize uh, uh, babies. Rather, we, we choose to dedicate them. We go back here. We see the example of Jesus, mother and, and father, Mary and Joseph, as well as Hannah earlier on in the Old Testament when she brings Samuel to the temple. We dedicate them. And when we dedicate children, we are symbolically saying to them, God, thank you. You have blessed me with this child, but God, I need your help in raising this child. But God, I also symbolically give this child back to you. Many has been the night that Beck and I have, have cried before the Lord and said to him, God, you gave us this child. And there are times, and we all walk through these times, where our children, they do things and it, it breaks our heart. There are times where our hearts are filled with great pride and great joy, and we want to say, way to go. But there will come those seasons in your life where you will have to say before God, God, I cannot change their heart. I cannot do anything in this situation. But God, we gave them to you. We stood before you, and we pledged before you that we would raise this child, we would raise these children in a home where they would hear about you. And we dedicate them, Lord, and we remind the Lord that we, God, they're your children. Would you work in their hearts? This was a couple who gave their children back, who gave their son back to the Lord. They were an ordinary couple. They were obedient. But they also gave him up as an offering, much as the father gave his son up for us as an offering, much as Jesus gave his life as an offering for us. And I think of no greater joy than to be able to offer our lives up to the king and say, here I am, Lord, much like Mary. Let it be unto me, Father, as you have said, I am your servant. I am your servant. But there was another. There was another also in the, in the temple that day. And he was a man by the name of Simeon. And it says this of Simeon. It says in verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Watch this. Watch how many times it mentions the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's an interesting word. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The word Christ there is Messiah. He would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit. How many times? Three times. Remember uh, well that when something is mentioned in, in short, in, in, when something is mentioned over again in a very short reference, it's there for emphasis. Simeon, Simeon, as Luke points out, the very first thing that he says about him is that he was righteous and devout. He was righteous and devout. How, how did that come about? Did that just happen? 
that righteousness and devout, that character was forged. And oftentimes, character is forged within the fires of adversity. Why do I say that? Well, most scholars believe that at this time, Simeon was an old man. How old? We're not told. 60s? 70s? 80s? We know that Anna, somebody else who's also in the temple at this time, is a very old woman. She's 84. But we know that the time in which that Simeon would have grown up, if he's an old man, if he's in his 70s, if he's in his early 80s, he would have grown up in some of the most difficult times of Israel's history. Why do I say that? There are four people that I want us to remember. Just if you want to write them down, some of the names are a little difficult. The first one is Pompey. Pompey was a Roman governor. He was a, a Roman general. But he was a bit of an egotist. And Pompey came into Jerusalem, and one of the things that he did when he came in, and the Jewish people were a difficult people, but one of the things he did when he came into Jerusalem was he went into the temple and went to the Holy of Holies. There was a, there was a veil between the regular part of the temple and the Holy of Holies. The priest, the high priest, would go, would go behind that veil once a year and offer sacrifice to the Lord. When Pompey came into Jerusalem, into the temple, he tore down the veil and flexed his muscles in the holies of holies, but left the temple virtually untouched. The next person to come in was a man by the name of Crassus. Crassus was the the governor of Syria. Crassus in modern day times would have been a man whose net worth in modern day day money U.S. money, I'm sorry I didn't translate this into Hong Kong dollars. $20 billion is what his net worth would have been. He was an incredibly wealthy man. But it wasn't enough. It was said of John D. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And what did he say? One dollar more. Crassus was like that. When what Pompey left undone, he, he didn't do anything to the temple out of deference to the Jews, out of, just out of a goodwill to the Jews. He left the temple alone. And what he left alone, Crassus came in and took the treasures of the temple for himself. He was an incredibly brutal man. The next one coming in is another name, another word similar to Crassus. His name was Cassus. And where Cassus, he also was the governor of Syria. Where Crassus was wealthy, Cassus was a man of great debt. And he is renowned dubiously because he not, to pay off his debts, he sold off whole Jewish villages into slavery. It was an incredibly difficult time for the Jewish people. But the time in which that Simeon is living is a time in which a man by the name of Herod is on the throne. Herod claimed to be a Jew. He was not. He was a half-Jew. He was from Idumea. He was to the south, southeast portion of Israel. Herod was a tyrant, a maniacal tyrant, a murderous man who killed anybody who even smacked of, wanting his, of, of even wanting his throne. He was an incredibly insecure man. So much so that when the Magi come into Jerusalem and say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? It said, All Israel trembled when they heard this. Why? Because Herod was on the throne. And when Herod got angry, heads rolled. It is in this time that God was working in the life of Simeon. It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that uh, he was continually 
Let me get the word there for you. Um, it's righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation. Uh, uh, excuse me. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's what I wanted to come back to. That is a word that is a way of saying that he was continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's one of the few times we ever see that reference before the book of Acts. But he is a man who is led by the Holy Spirit. He's a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit. But he is a man who's waiting. And what is he waiting for? It says what he is waiting for. He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? The word, the, the word that says consolation, is, what that means is that he's literally waiting for the one who would remove the sorrow from Israel. Devout Jews pray daily, Lord God, help me see the consolation of Israel. And he was waiting. He was waiting in this time. He was waiting for the Savior. Genesis chapter 49, verse 18. Jacob says this as well. It says, for your salvation I wait to the Lord. All Israel was waiting. For 400 years, it says, that they, were, that they heard no voice. Obviously, God had been speaking during that time because he's speaking here to Simeon. And he says to Simeon, you will not die. You will not die until you see the Lord's Christ. He was waiting. And how did he wait? That is so important for us. It is so important because there are things that we're waiting for right now, and I'm going to touch upon them in a minute. But how did Simeon wait, and how are we to wait? I'm going to take you, I'm going to wade you through some scriptures, so hold on here with me. Psalm chapter 25, verse 3 to 5 says this, No one whose hope in the Lord will ever be put to shame. I don't know what you're hoping for. I don't know what in the midst of it is that you're walking through right now. But that's why we talked about last week. Where is your hope? If your hope is in anything else but in Christ, it will never satisfy. Your bank account can be gone in a moment. Your job can be gone in a moment. Your home, everything that you have, all you have to do is look at Job. It can be gone in a moment. But your hope cannot be taken away from you. Remember last week, he is what? He is the everlasting Father. Your hope is eternal because your hope is in Christ. It says, those who hope in the Lord will never be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Some of you are walking through those days where things have been said about you, things have been done to you, people are treacherous without cause. God says, put your hope in the Lord. There's more coming up in that in a minute. To show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. One scripture that's not there that I was reading this morning in Isaiah, it says, he will keep in perfect peace. Literally, he will keep in shalom, shalom. He will keep in perfect peace. Him whose mind is steadfast. Why? Because he trusts in you. And then he says, trust in the Lord. For the Lord, the Lord is the everlasting rock. Where is your hope this morning? In the midst of what it was that, that Simeon was waiting for. He was waiting for the Savior, but he was waiting in hope. We go on and we see as well. It says in Psalm chapter 27, verse 14. Psalm chapter 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. You know, one of the reasons we don't like to wait is because it takes things out of our control, doesn't it? 
And it's exactly that place that God wants us to be, a place where it's not in our hands, a place where we have to come before God. That's why I say there are those three things that God does while we wait. He develops in us a deep relationship. He develops character, and he develops a deep trust in him as you wait. He says, wait for the Lord. Be still before the Lord and wait for him. That's coming up. Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. Know God's word when you are walking through times of difficulty, when you don't know what it is, when hope is all that you have. You go back to the word of God. I remember there was a time, um, maybe two years ago, maybe three years ago, Beck and I were walking through a difficult season. And I can still remember as we walked back and there was a tendency on our part to begin, you know, about, oh, poor me. And then I don't know which one of us, we simply began to quote God's word. And back and forth, we walked through that time, and by the time we were done, we were in tears because we realized the power of God's word and how precious it is in those times when we have no hope. In your word, he says, I put my hope. Put God's word away in your heart so that when those times come, you go back to the well, you go back to God's word. Because there will be those times when God's word, when hope is all that you have to hold on to. And Micah, writing the same time as Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, he says, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. He, when Simeon waited, he did not wait in vain. And neither do we. We do not wait in vain. So what does God have you waiting for right now? What is it that God would be saying of you right now that he would have you to be waiting for? Maybe it is the, uh, maybe it's the result of a test. You're, you're waiting for the result of, of medical tests. Or you are with somebody who is walking through a difficult season medically. And it's just you, you, you keep waiting with them and you keep walking with them. Maybe for some of us, you're waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright. You know, in, in that, um, over the years, the 31 years now of ministry, I've done a lot of weddings. I don't even know there are some years where it's just like back to back to back, you do all these weddings. And in the States, the weddings happen in, in June, in July, especially in Minnesota, because they all want an outdoor wedding. And so they're crammed in there, and usually in the winter is when I'm doing the premarital counseling. And that first meeting is one where you, you begin to talk, and you get to know them and share with them. And, you know, okay, how did you meet? You know, where's your, how's your walk with the Lord? Those kinds of things. And then comes the dreaded question. Okay, you keeping your hands to home? You know who puts their head down first? It's always the girl. That's the number. In 30 young years, that's the number that have kept themselves before marriage. I speak to a lot of single ladies here. If he cannot keep his hands off of you, he is not worthy of you. What you have to give 
to your future husband is so precious. If he cannot wait for it, he is not worthy of you. Some things God causes us to wait for. And those things are important. We sometimes wait for a child. Couples who struggle with infertility, they, they wait, and is this the month that we're going to have a child? Is this the month? And you walk with them when you find out, okay, this isn't the month. Or you rejoice with them when, ha, I'm pregnant. And then we wait for the birth. And then we wait for them to get through a certain stage. And then for some of us, we can't wait for them to get out of the house, and then we can't wait for them to come home. And for some of us, we pray for the child to come back. For some of us, we have prodigals. And we've been waiting for that child. That's where I say you go back to the Lord. And you say, God, that child is yours. I gave that child to you. You see where they're going. You see how they're walking away. God, would you be the one that brings them back? And we wait in hope for the Lord to do his work. Because there's just so much we can say, especially as our children get a little older and they leave the house and I don't need your God. I don't need to walk in the way that you walk. And you go back to the Lord. For some of us, there's not a lot of pages left in our book. For some of us, we wait in hope for the day when we'll go home. We'll be home with the Lord. We'll be reunited with those that we love. I don't know where you are. I don't know what it is and where it is that God has you waiting at this time. But what you do in the light, Ravi Zechariah said, the decisions that you make in the light will will put you in good stead in the dark, will put you in a good place in the dark. What you do in the light will affect what happens when it gets dark, when you walk through those times of difficulty. Romans chapter, Romans chapter 8, verse 25 says, But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait patiently. Let me just... But if we hope for what we do not have, We wait patiently for it. Okay, so how are you waiting? Because there are times you say, okay, I'll I'll, I'll wait. But one of the tendencies of having to wait is that we're not very patient, are we? And when we get impatient, that's when we come home and everybody scatters. The dog scatters everybody just because we don't want to be around it because that person is so impatient. Oh, I'm waiting. Yeah, but how are you waiting? With what kind of an attitude are you waiting? That really reflects to your children, to those who know what it is that you are walking through. We wait patiently for the Lord. Uh, Romans 12 uh, digs in a little deeper. He says, be joyful in hope. Don't just wait patiently, but be joyful in the midst of it. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I mean, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Because that doesn't mean you put on a plastic smile and, okay, I'm waiting, I'm I'm joyful here. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is something that God does in you. And it says, be joyful and hold patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. But Psalm 37 
And here especially, we go back to the way in which... Here, I'm going to geek you for just a second. The way in which Hebrew is written, whenever something is mentioned in close proximity with one another, when it's mentioned repeatedly, especially the same word, it's there for purpose. It's there to say, you need to really pay attention to this. In Psalm 37, three times in in eight verses, it says this, Do not fret because of evil men. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. Verse 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I could end the sermon with that one right there. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. God is not slow in keeping his promises as some some see slowness. But that verse goes on, it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. And he goes on in verse 8, he says, Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret three times. What is to fret? What does that mean? That means to worry. That's like, oh, how is this ever going to work out? Why does he say do not fret? Because it says it only leads to what? To evil. It only leads to evil. That's why there are times when we, when God calls us to wait and we choose not to wait, We choose rather to fret about it. We choose rather to take it into our own hands that it leads to evil. And God says, don't fret. What you do while you wait is so huge. And Simeon is waiting. He's waiting before the Lord. And moved by the Holy Spirit. Moved by the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 27. I am so jealous. I am so jealous of, of Simeon at this point. I have dedicated a lot of kids. One year in our church in Montana, we had, we had a small, small community, 8,000 people in this community, small church, 250 on a good Sunday. We had one year where there were 14 children. I don't know if it was a long winter or what it had been that year. We had 14 children, that, women that had given birth that year. All, and it was, bless you, it was all single births. And boy, we did a lot of baby dedications in that time. I've done a lot of baby dedications over the years. I love them when they're, when they're just really new and you put them in their arms and all they do is sleep because as they get older, they're tearing at your glasses. They're tearing at the, at the you know, you got to kind of hold them like this while you're, while you're praying for them or they start crying. They see you and they, they start to cry. But I've never had the opportunity to, that Simeon had. Think of the absolute blessing that Simeon had. And on the day, it says they're moved by the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, Simeon, today's the day. Today's the day I told you about. Today's the day I told you about. He's here. And others didn't recognize him. It's interesting. Who recognized Jesus? Who does he bring to, to, the, to the manger first? He brings simple shepherds. People who weren't even trusted in a court of law. And he brings shepherds. And they recognize him. And what do they do? They take the message out with them. Who's the other ones that recognized him? Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Two years later, at least, came men knocking on the door of the home in which Mary and Joseph lived. And when they see him, when they saw the star, what does it say? They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It's one word in English, but it's four words in the Greek. They were overjoyed. 
And when they see him, when they open the door, and I don't know if Jesus was in arms or if he was holding on behind Mary or Joseph, but when they saw him, what did they do? They fell down to their faces in homage before the king of kings. And Simeon, when he sees Jesus, he recognizes him for who he is. I am so jealous. He takes in his arms this little child. Last night at community group, we had Timothy and Taiwo and little Josiah and all the grandmothers and everybody holding this boy throughout the, throughout the meal and throughout the night. It was so precious to watch that. And he picks this child up. And what does he say? He says here, it says, um, Sovereign Lord, verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, dismiss your servant in peace. Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and I put my, in, in his word I put my hope. How long had Simeon waited? But it doesn't matter how long God may have you to wait. God is doing something in that time and through that time. What is he doing? He is deepening a relationship with you. He is causing, he's deepening your character. And he's deepening that trust that you have in him. And in that time he was waiting. And it says as well in Isaiah chapter 49 verse 23, Then you will know that I am the Lord, and those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Remember going back to our experience in God? You will come to know God and you will come to experience God. When you, when you walk with him, when you give your life over to him and allow him to work in and through you. Did Simeon come to know God in a way that he never would have unless he had walked through this time? God has something for you as you wait in this time, as you wait for financial resources, as you wait for the prodigal to come home, as you wait for that job, as you wait for this situation to work itself out. In whatever it is, God has a purpose in that time as you wait. And are you waiting in hope? Are you waiting in hope? Because there's two things that we want to be careful of as we wait. We want to remember that God has not abandoned us. Amen? God has not abandoned you in that time of waiting. What is God doing? He's deepening character. He's deepening a relationship with you. And he's deepening trust in your heart with him. He has not abandoned you. The second thing to remember is that in these times, don't equate the silence of God with the inactivity of God. God may be silent. His word is not silent. But God may be silent in those times. But do not equate the silence of God with the inactivity of God. So as you wait... As you wait, we put our hope and our trust in God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Ugh. He is never early, is he? He is always on time. It is his time. In the fullness of time, it says, God sent his son into the, earth, into the world. God's timing. He's not slow in keeping his promise. And the promises of God, we read as well, there are many. And we, I'm just going to finish up with, uh, with, with several here. We trust the Lord for, for our children. 
it says, oh, excuse me, sorry about this. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 5 and 6. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. Now, I know this is speaking of those who are in exile. But for some, our children are far away. And God made a promise to Israel. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. We can pray for our children. And we can ask the Lord to bring them back. To cause their hearts to be tender towards him. As well, we think about loved ones. We're going back to that scripture in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It said, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God loves those of your loved ones who don't know him. And can we pray and ask God, please? I think sometimes we give up too quickly. Or we give just kind of a superficial prayer. Someone's life is in the balance. And praying and saying, God, would you work in their hearts? God, would you do the work of bringing that loved one back to the Lord or that, one, that loved one to the Lord? Some of us, we are praying and trusting the, are trusting the Lord in times like this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. These are promises that God makes. Trust in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. That's a promise that Jesus made to us. For some of us, we're trusting the Lord for provision. And God says in his word, And my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. According to his riches. I don't know what your need is today. Whether it's for a job, financial need, health need, whatever it may be. We serve the one who, who is able to supply but even if he does not, will I still serve him? That's what Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego said, didn't they? We will not bow down to you because the God that we serve is able to protect us. But even if he does not, there are times that God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Even if he does not, will I trust him? God is able to supply for our needs. He is able to he, he is able as well, and we can trust in his love. Sometimes as we wait, we, we wonder, does God still love me? We read in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 out of the RSV, the steadfast love of the Lord never changes. His mercies never come to an end. Read that last one with me. What does it say? They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord. The, the, the kind love, the chesed love of the Lord, the, the love of God, God's faithful love for you, he said, will never come to an end. Every morning it is new again in your life. He will not stop loving you. As well, he promised that he would always be with you. As you walk in times and are waiting on the Lord, know that he is with you. He's not stopped loving you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So I say with what? What does it say? With confidence. The Lord is my helper. My hope is in the Lord. For some of us, 
we need to say that again and again and again. And lastly, as we finish up, his promised return. As we wait in hope, while we wait in hope, Titus chapter 2, verse 13 says, while we wait for the what? The blessed hope, the glorious appearing of, God, of our great God and Savior. Waiting. We wait in hope, don't we? I hope we're waiting in hope. Because I don't know what it is that God has you waiting for. I don't know how long it was that Simeon had to wait upon the Lord. As you promised, Lord, God is one who keeps his promises. God loves your unsaved loved ones. God loves your prodigals. God loves you. God has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. God has promised to provide for you. God has promised that he's coming back. The promises of God. While you wait, what is God doing? He is doing three things. Remember them? He's deepening your relationship. He is what? He's deepening your character. He's building character. And he's what? Deepening trust. Waiting. We don't like to wait. But waiting is something that God says, will you trust me? Remember, we come to experience God. And what are one of the things that we need to do as we experience God? We must make radical adjustments in our lives to do what it is that God calls us to do. Sometimes that radical adjustment is having to trust him. And for some of us, we're so used to being in control that we bristle at the fact of having to trust God, having to wait upon God for another month of, what are the tests going to prove this time? And in the midst of those times, God is at work. And can we say, God, like Mary, Lord, I am your servant. Let what you desire be what is desired in my heart. Jesus said, as he called his disciples to pray, he said, Pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And sometimes God's kingdom and what it is that he wants is for us to wait because he has something in mind in that time. Now, it's, it's not easy to wait, is it? And I want to pray for you this morning because for some of us, I've seen some tears this morning. For some of us, this sermon hits a nerve because we're right there. We're right in the middle of it. And in the middle of these times, God is close. He is very close to you. Let me pray for you. Precious Father, thank you again for the truth of your word. This man, this man Simeon, we, we, we don't hear of him again. He comes on the scene and he leaves the scene. But he leaves as an example to us. A man whose character was forged in the fires of adversity. But a man whose trust was not in himself. But his trust was in what it is that you had said. Trust that was developed over time. Trust that was developed in the midst of a deep relationship. Character that was built in that time.
And God, you leave us the example because for many of us this morning, we are in a time of waiting. For some of us, we're waiting to hear back on results of a test. We're waiting to hear back from the doctors. What is the test going to reveal? We haven't slept well because we keep waiting for this. But God, I pray as your word says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Father, for some of us, we are waiting. And our pillows are covered with the tears of a broken heart over a child, over a loved one who is not walking with you. Who if they were to to die, they would pass into a crisis eternity for some. And Lord, it grips our heart and we know that you love them even more than what we love them. And we know that God, it's not your will that any should perish, but God, you have given us a will, a will in which we can either choose to follow or we can choose to reject you. But God, we pray and ask for your mercy to be poured out and for you to bring the hearts of these who don't know you to the place of where God, they see, their eyes are opened, The God of this world has blinded their eyes so that they cannot see. Father, would you open their eyes so that they can see. Lord, where the prodigals are this morning, we do not know. But we ask that, Father, even as you said in your word, when he came to his senses, when that prodigal son came to his senses, Lord, would you bring our prodigals to their senses? And God, would you be the one that brings their hearts back to you? Would you let them know how deeply you care and that you're waiting for them to return? You are the one that will run to them when they even make that first move back. God, we pray for the prodigals. We pray for the parents of prodigals. Pray that, God, you would strengthen them. That you would pour the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ over them as they wait. Father, give them the promises of your word and let them stand upon the promises of those words. Even when everything looks bleak, let them stand upon the promises of your word. Lord, for some we wait for the provision of resources, for the provision of health, for the provision of a job, a place to live, whatever it might be. And God, I pray that your will would be done. For some, Lord, you are waiting for us to simply ask. For others of us, you are waiting for us to take hold of your hand and to trust you even when you don't provide. And God, for some of us, we wait in hope. For the blessed hope, the return of Christ. For some of us, we are looking forward to the day when We will be reunited with loved ones. But more than anything, when we will see you face to face. And God, while we are here on this earth, you are not done with us. And I just pray that God, as we wait, sometimes we just, we want to give up. We don't want to have to wait any longer. Would you come alongside of our precious saints and would you encourage them? 
Would you speak again those precious words to their heart of how deeply you love them and how you still have a purpose for them. God, thank you for this precious, precious congregation. You have brought us again from all corners of the world. And God, you brought us together as a family. And I pray, God, your richest blessing over them. I thank you for giving me the honor of being their shepherd. And God, we pray for wisdom, we pray for strength as I shepherd this precious group, your precious flock of sheep. Go with them this week. I pray that you'd bring the word back to them again and again and again. And I pray that, God, you would move in such ways that glory would be brought to you and to you alone. And we pray this and ask all of it, Father, in Jesus' holy name, to which all the glory belongs. Amen, amen, amen. Go in the grace and in the mercy and in the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a great week. Lord bless you.